welcome to Conversations with Conscious Enterprises. I'm Roxana, and I have a really cool and unique conversation to share with you guys today. This conversation is particularly fascinating to me as someone who became intrigued with the scientific viability of astrology prior to me diving deeply into other esoteric studies of consciousness a few years ago. Personally, I believe astrological natal charts can be more accurate than some of the most prevalent personality tests that businesses are using today, like Myers-Briggs, the Jungian archetypes, 5S, or DISC profiles. I'll spare you my thoughts on the scientific viability of a, a proper natal chart for now. This conversation is not about astrology. I think it's important that we share what people like Ruby Warrington are doing for the business world. Best known for her widely popular online magazine, The Numinous, Ruby also speaks openly about integrating mysticism into her life in the fashion industry in London. She also talks a lot about this in her previous book, Material Girl, Mystical World. But even more impressive to me, Ruby now works with big brands like Soho House, Unilever, Buick, Lululemon, and Topshop who are looking to integrate what she calls now age lifestyle or mysticism into their brands. And mysticism from a scientific and psychological standpoint, which is how I tend to view things, is really just another form of introspection. So the work that Ruby does for brands from a corporate standpoint is indicative of a major shift in perspective that's happening in the business world. In this conversation, we discuss Ruby's career, her relationship to alcohol and plant and her thoughts on plant medicines and psychedelics. And we of course talk about her latest initiative, which is super fascinating as she is the creator of a new movement called Sober Curious. That's really the deep part of this conversation, delving into the ideas and social constructs that we have built around alcohol and the consumption of it. Please enjoy and share this conversation. Please follow Conscious Enterprises on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And be sure to check out Ruby's new book. It's available on Amazon and I'll link to it on our site. It's called Sober Curious, The Blissful Sleep, Greater Focus, Limitless Presence, and Deep Connection Awaiting Us All on the Other Side of Alcohol. And you can always find us at www.conscious.enterprises. Hi Ruby. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. It's great being to be here. A part of Conscious Enterprises. Thank um, you for having me. I've been a fan of yours for a little while, so it's really cool to have you here. <laughs> um, so you are the founder of The Numinous, which mm -hmm. is an online magazine, and I'll mm -hmm. let you explain a little bit more mm -hmm. about that. You're the creator of the Sober Curious Movement, which I'm so curious to hear about <laughs> more. Um, you're also the founder of a Sober Curious event series called Club Soda. Mm -hmm. You're the author of Material Girl Mystical World, The Now Age Guide to a High Vibe Life. And you also have another book coming out called Sober Curious, The Blissful Sleep, Greater Focus, Limitless Presence, and Deep Connection, a connection Awaiting Us All on the Other Side of Alcohol. <laughs> Good for you for reading the whole subhead. <laughs> I know, it's, it's like a hit or miss on that. It's a long subhead. <laughs> I haven't even memorized it myself yet. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if she was going to be able to like rattle that one off. Okay. Um, so you have a career that began in London in mm -hmm. the fashion industry. Um, I just kind of want to start with 
tell me a little bit about your career journey and how you ended up from London to New York being a successful entrepreneur that you are today. Well, yeah, like you said, my, uh, my career background and where I started was in the magazine journalism industry in the UK, in London, where I'm from. I'm a Londoner, born and bred. Um, and I studied fashion journalism in London at the London College of Fashion and immediately on graduating started working for magazines. And it definitely felt like I'd really tapped into a talent of mine, writing, journalism, reporting, something I just really love to do and I've always loved words even as a kid. So I was very happy in that career and I kind of like bopped around different magazines, um, did a few stints freelancing and found myself um, about 10 years ago in my dream job as features editor at the Sunday Times Style Magazine, which is a really prestigious title there. And it kind of represented at the time the kind of apex of a lot of my ambitions for myself. And a couple of years in, I was just dismayed to find that I was feeling really unsatisfied. Mm. And I was really beating myself up. I'm like, oh, come on, this is like a job everyone wants. Like, why aren't you enjoying yourself? Like, right. be grateful, you know? But there was just a part of me that wasn't satisfied, wasn't fulfilled, and didn't truly believe that what I was putting out into the world was meaningful um, or really kind of like contributing something of value. It was a lot of fun, yeah. but I felt like there was more I could give. And I think this is something a lot of people experience. Yes, very common. <laughs> Probably yeah. common among your kind of audience yes. as well. It's like that you almost, it almost felt like reaching my own glass ceiling. There was no limits on me continuing in that career. Everything was set up for me to go further. Right. But I found myself feeling boxed in by it. Um, and at that time, I decided I would just start a, kind of a, a, a study of a passion project, right? Yeah. Um, and I was wondering what it might be, and I almost immediately just landed on the fact that I'd always been really fascinated with astrology. And it was something I didn't necessarily talk about. I wasn't particularly open about it. Unlike even now, like 10 years later, well, this was probably 2010, so like eight years later, right. where astrology is kind of popping up everywhere and mm -hmm. people are super curious about yeah. it. Back then it was still, it was still kind of quite in the closet. It was still kind of yeah. seen as quite woo-woo and weird. And it still is in yeah, many circles, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's becoming more popular. But I was not, not, not really very out about it, but I'd always been really interested in it. And so I decided to, um, to study astrology for myself, not knowing whether it was going to be a career thing, but almost just like a hobby on the side. Yeah. But almost immediately on embarking on this path of study, I kind of began questioning why there wasn't a publication or even a blog online that kind of talked about astrology in a way that made it relevant and cool. Because yeah. for me, there was it was a seamless transition from kind of fashion, journalism, magazines, and astrology. It seemed like a great fit. And right. lots of people I knew in the fashion industry in particular were secretly really fascinated as well. Just wouldn't really talk about it because it seemed so a bit weird. weird. <laughs> so I was like, maybe if I presented it in a way that was really beautiful and aspirational and yeah. modernized some of the terminology, um, that would be, there's a gap in the market for that. So that was the idea for the Numinous. Yeah. And it was about um, six months after I had that idea, my husband got a job in New York. Okay. So we wound up moving here and I found myself kind of oh, jobless. Right, okay. Or at least freelancing. Mm -hmm. And I worked, you know, for a good three, four years when I first moved here, I worked very consistently and steadily and was very busy as a, as a freelance correspondent for a mm -hmm. lot of papers and magazines in the UK but began actively kind of creating the numinous on the side. Right. And it was about a year after I officially launched the numinous that a 
um, an editor at HarperCollins reached out and asked if I'd be interested or if I had a book that I wanted to write That's on like this the subject. So I'm like, yeah. does this even happen? <laughs> I thought like the common wisdom is that you have to get an agent and pitch right. tons of editors before you get a book deal. But I would think so, yeah. Here it was. And so that was kind of a turning point in yeah. feeling like, oh, wow, people are looking at this. This is a subject. Who, who knew? I was My hunch was right. right. This is a subject that's kind of, there's a new buzz around it. Right. People are interested again in some of these ancient kind of human technologies, as I like to call them, or some of the kind of new age subjects, which I like to say that I've kind of updated for the now age. I would say that too, yeah, <laughs> definitely. That's what I call it. So, um, so yeah, then once the book um, came out, I really transitioned much more fully into numinous cool. land. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever think that you would be an entrepreneur in that in that sense, building something of your own? No. And for a long time, I didn't really even see myself as an entrepreneur. I saw myself much more as just a freelance journalist, yeah. writer, blogger, author. And I still, that is the essence right, of what I do. Right. And I've kind of had to learn, I mean, having to learn still, right. the more business side of things. Yeah. I'm not very good at business plans and structures and things like that I really super intuitive like yeah everything's kind of like that makes sense. done on my gut um but I'm definitely learning about planning being strategic having the right team members in place and yes. actually thinking about it as a business right um is, is still relatively new for me because I'm right. very much a kind of creative first mm-hmm. and foremost and what I really want to spend my days doing is writing books yeah so so it's been an interesting um, addition to my skill set, I guess. It sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very cool. And I feel like that intuition, I mean, as long as you're following that, the structure will kind of build around that anyway. So I'm sure you're learning how to build that way too. Yes. Which is cool. Yes. And it's interesting because my intuition is that if something's too structured, I will get bored of it yeah. and quickly burn out. Right. And that's true. Right. So I, can't, I really can't work to too much of a structure. Right. Actually, and it's one of the reasons I, in every job like that I ever had working for someone else, I would mm-hmm. always be super frustrated and bored after yeah. a couple of years. And I think it was partly to do with the fact that in corporate life, everything is very mm-hmm. unstructured. And that just... It, I feel I end up feeling just hemmed in by it. Yeah, I think a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah. I got that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you've described your progression into this mystical nature of the world <clears throat> as a pretty natural evolution. Mm. In your first book, Material Girl, Mystical, Material Girl, Mystical World, mm-hmm. um, which I loved. Um, was it ever challenging for you to be taken seriously as a journalist? or a businesswoman um, that is so ingrained in all things mystical, like tarot and horoscopes. Like for me, I mean, astrology was like my first dipping the toe in the pond, Mm. but um, I was able to understand it on a very scientific Mm. physics level. And Mm. that was kind of what warmed me up to being like, oh, okay, that's why this makes sense. It's scientific. Um, For someone like you that was like so much more creative and pulled in from that that, uh, direction, yeah, did you ever find challenges with the way that people viewed you oh, yeah. because of that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the first chapter of my book, as you know, is called Coming Out of the Spiritual yeah. Closet. And I still feel like everyone's yeah. going to give me a bit of a side eye and not take right. it seriously. Right. Because I'm so open about my belief, trust, faith, I suppose you could say, in yeah. a mystical force, right? In right. the idea that there are there are... There are forces in the world that we can't see, which are gently shaping things as much as equally to the conscious forces that we have control of, right? 
I'm not saying that one outweighs the other or one is more important than the other. I'm, my philosophy is really that in a very linear, structured world, in a very left-brain world, if you like, mm-hmm. we are actually, as humans, kind of starved often of the more mystical experiences, the more numinous experiences. Mm-hmm. And so I'm about, like, let's bring it in so we can have a balance. But yeah, absolutely. I'm very, yeah. I'm, I'm very aware that I am often perceived of as being kind of flaky and woo-woo and weird. <laughs> and a lot of my own kind of, like spiritual path I guess you could say or my own path of self-love or self-acceptance has been kind of just being like woo-woo and proud like just being out about it and not really caring what other people think and trusting that my own journey is my journey and what other people's opinions of that may be don't have to affect my self-esteem or my beliefs you know but yeah definitely and particularly when my book came out in the UK (laughs) The here there was kind of a buzz around it in the UK. Mm. It was kind of like crickets. And it was really? a bit like I'm surprised oh. by that. There's a just there is a lot more cynicism oh. for anything kind of mystical there. And I even yeah. had editors when we were pitching it out, um, kind of re- reply. You know, we're actually a little bit cynical when it comes to these topics. Interesting. <laughs> that makes sense. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair enough. Right. You right, know, right. that's fair enough. But it's. Um, I think I did some work with an amazing public speaking coach earlier this year and I actually was catching up with her yesterday and she reminded me actually part of her teaching is like you it's impossible to please everyone it's impossible for your message to speak to everyone so just focus on really connecting with the people who you do serve yeah and that's such a great reminder I think in this digital age where all of the messaging is like numbers higher more 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 um, when actually having a smaller but niche market that really gets you is probably more valuable for everyone. That's a good thing for me to hear actually right now. That's <laughs> for everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, in your career so far, this is kind of a general question, but a good one. Um, in your career so far, what failure are you most proud of and and what failure have you have you learned or gained from the most in retrospect? In a way. This might sound like weirdly egotistical, but I'm just gonna say it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> my failure to get like a really big piece of press yeah. in the UK or, or my for my first book. Okay. You know, I really felt like this is quite a groundbreaking book. Right. I'm really proud of this piece of work. Right. Like, and then there was just kind of like nothing, and it yeah. felt like a failure on my part. Like I'd written something that maybe I'd just got it wrong. Maybe I yeah. missed the mark with it. But actually, I learned so much about myself from that experience. I learned so much about my ego. I learned so much about how. So much of my kind of, there was this need for like validation from the outside, which it really made me examine like, why is that? Why am I not, why am I not satisfied or proud of myself for creating a piece of work that like so many people like yourself have found it, however you found it and been really impacted by it. Why do I still feel the need to get a write up in the times or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So that felt like a failure to me and it taught me so much about myself and about, my work and like what it means to be valued and appreciated in the world yeah. so yeah well maybe that's why you're a new yorker now <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe you go back there we embrace you here yes um so i'm super excited to read um your new book sober curious coming out in december um so let's talk about this sober curious movement that you've started mm. what is sober curious about mm. and what are you trying to accomplish with it well, sober curious is a term I began to use a few years ago when I first started the event series Club Soda NYC. 
And this was a Which term is such a cute name, by the way. <laughs> Club Soda. Soda NYC Sober or Debating Abstinence. Oh, I didn't know what that's what it's doing. Yeah. Okay. It kind of came after the cute. event. I was like, this is a cute name. Yeah. And it could mean this. Yeah. But um, so my own path of kind of working on the, creating the numinous, bringing many of the tools and practices that I write about on the site into my own life. Tools from astrology, tarot, but also yoga, meditation, various different kind of healing practices, hypnosis. Um, I had such a profound personal transformation and was feeling so kind of elevated and expansive and inspired as a result of it, that I began to notice that the way I was using alcohol which was not by any means like massively excessively, certainly mm-hmm. no more than the majority of people I know living in a city like, right. like a social city like New York. Oh my you know? gosh, yes. Um, I really began to notice how alcohol was making me feel, which was generally pretty bad. Yeah, I think most people feel like that the day <laughs> after. Yeah. The day after, yeah. just like, I've just wasted like a day, probably two days realistically, right. you know, to feeling unconfident about myself, yeah. blocked from my creativity and my intuition, um, unsure of what I'm doing in the world, just confused, foggy. And I just thought, hmm, it just made me begin to question, right? why am I using this substance? And so getting sober curious is really about that questioning process. Actually, yeah. rather than going the default kind of autopilot route, which is what so many of us learn to do from college age up, if not even younger, is that in order to be social means to drink, yeah. to relax means to drink, to yeah. have fun means to drink. It's just kind of interwoven into all of these experiences. And we're never taught to question it unless we get to a point where we have a rock bottom and we're like, our life has become unmanageable and we're now an addict and we have a disease called alcoholism. That's kind of the only point that we're ever shown an alternative to just drinking. A good point. Yeah. How it's just interwoven. (laughs) It's just like a interwoven. Yeah. So really getting sober curious is about asking all of those questions rather than just kind of automatically going on that programming, you know? Great. Um, And it was a path that I've been following myself from from even before I began the numinous. The questioning actually had begun at this around the same time I was having these questions about my career. Is this really what I'm here to do? Is this meaningful to me? What am I actually wanting to contribute? And I began to notice even then that the days when I was hungover, I'd been drinking the night before, all of that doubt kind of came up even more so, and I felt even more blocked from what my answers might be. So I'd already begun the questioning, but it was always very, very internal. Um, And it was only when I, I kind of launched the, decided to launch the event series, it was because I realized that actually talking about it openly was a necessary part of answering those questions. I didn't totally. have all the answers for myself, you know? Yeah. So beginning to have discussions about it, speak with friends about it, host social events where we would have panel discussions, yeah. meditate on this, and kind of really get the conversation, like open the conversation up, became an essential part of actually answering those questions for myself. Cool. And another, you know, some of the other questions were like, what do I want to feel when I'm drinking yes. that I don't, that I'm not feeling in my life? Yes. I want to feel happy. I want to feel inspired. I want to feel connected to my friends. Why do I feel I need alcohol for that? What other so ways? What other ways can I experience those things I'm looking for in alcohol mm. 
without the toxic side effects, without yeah. the payoff of like losing two, three days of my right. life afterwards, you know? Right. What do you think the end goal is that you're looking for with this? Like, it, I don't sense that the end goal for you is to have complete abstinence from alcohol, because I know you like post things sometimes and you'll have a glass of champagne when mm -hmm. you go to a wedding or mm -hmm. something, things like that. Um, is it just at having other people, I guess, like question these questions for themselves. What what is um what what is the goal that that you're the goal for towards? me personally yeah. has been to really completely reframe and recategorize my relationship with alcohol. Got it. So for me personally, it means I kind of put alcohol in the same category as I would any like class A drug. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like if it were. An, and I'm not pro-prohibition, I'm not saying we should ban alcohol, right. everyone should stop drinking, and I don't believe that abstinence is right for everybody either. Right. Um, however, for me, if alcohol is in the substance, in, in the category of kind of, um, what's the word, like, seriousness, I suppose, as a substance like heroin or cocaine, then how often am I really yeah. going to use it? Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Realistically. I mean, even hero like morphine has its uses, right? right. When you're suffering That's severe physical right. pain, like there is a necessary use yeah. for that substance. There's, yeah. I think there are, there are potential uses for alcohol, right. but for me personally, they're very, very few and far between now that I've answered all those questions for myself. And then in terms of the movement, as you call it, and the yeah. book, which is part of that, it's really to give other people permission to ask those questions cool. openly, without shame, yeah. without any stigma of kind of alcoholism or addiction attached, just yeah. to be able to kind of be open and like honest with themselves and each other about yeah. how alcohol is making them feel. And literally just giving people permission to do that. Beautiful, <laughs> I love it. Um, how does being sober curious, I mean, we do kind of answered this maybe, but how does being sober curious really differ from truly abstaining from alcohol in like an Alcoholics Anonymous kind of a way? I think, I mean, I have attended a couple of AA meetings. Oh, yeah. I did, a, as part of my path, I yeah. found myself questioning, am I an alcoholic? Right. Is this right for me? And I went to a couple of meetings and I found it to be not personally right for me, but an mm. amazing space for right. people who are seeking community. Um, particularly who are struggling with deeper levels of addiction um, but then it is a very black and white approach yeah and it really requires um, a very strict kind of wall to be built between you and the substance in this case alcohol but whatever it is yeah. um, and for me life's just not that black and white and you know statistics will show that I think it's between 40, 40 and 60 percent of people between 40 and 60 percent of people in AA are able to drink normally again and I say that with a huge huh. caveat because what's normal like what is normal drinking right. is there any such thing as normal drinking yeah. right in New York <laughs> it's probably very different than a lot right. of places yeah exactly and I think I remember reading somewhere that 90% of people in abstinence-based recovery programs relapse oh. so it doesn't necessarily work like if you're really looking to remove alcohol entirely completely from your life Abstinence only without, when I say abstinence only, I mean without some kind of internal questioning, without yeah. some inner work to actually do some of the sober curious work, which is asking those questions, why do I need this? Right. Asking those questions, how is it really making me feel? Asking those questions, how can I recategorize this and actually think about this differently? Yeah. I think the issue for me um, when I was applying it to my own story 
with the abstinence-based approach is that it almost keeps it on this sort of pedestal of like something dangerous yeah. or something desirable or something special that I'm not allowed. Mm. And so that keeps it kind of quite tempting and tantalizing. <laughs> so true. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Whereas if I'm like, this is just a substance in the world that I can take or leave. Yeah. Am I gonna take or leave it? It's like you I'm gonna really leave it. it I'm gonna leave it today. Yeah. I'm gonna leave it today. It's just for me that approach works better, but yeah. I also completely appreciate that for some people who are dealing with a deeper level of physical addiction, right. the abstinence approach is absolutely necessary. Yeah, it sounds like you kind of created the spectrum where there yeah. wasn't really before. It was just well, one this side is the or the thing. other. In in yeah. terms of addiction research, there's it's now widely acknowledged that there's a spectrum when it comes right. to um, addiction like levels of addiction yeah it makes and perfect I guess sense my question is well could there be a spectrum then in terms of sobriety right some people would say no and would say that this is very dangerous this is a dangerous thing for me to be talking about and it yeah. is definitely a controversial controversial subject but at the same time for every one person who may raise that i have like 100 people who are telling me how grateful they are I'm to be sure. able to be open about this and to be able to actually even have a conversation about it you know right no I think that's great I think I mean yeah I think there's a lot of people that I know personally that would benefit from you know this kind of this kind of a dialogue and this kind of a thinking of it on a spectrum instead of the mm. black or white mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um have you noticed a correlation between your productivity or any kind of enhancements um, in yourself <laughs> since you've been sober curious oh my goodness yes like oh my god I'm like Okay, so my best friend always used to call me Rubot. Okay, Rubot. Nice. Rubot. As in oh, like, Rubot. Ruby the Robot. Got it. <laughs> and that was largely because she was like, wow, you can even like knock out a feature on deadline on a hangover. You know? <laughs> but now, yeah. I mean, I've got two books coming out in less than two years. I think that's, yeah, that is that's pretty... a pretty good sign at my productivity yeah. levels. <laughs> That is pretty good. I'm sure <laughs> so, all yes, kinds of definitely. things. Definitely. I just kind of, you know, not a day goes by when I'm not kind of... Right. That's a lie. That's actually a lie. Of course there yeah. are days when I just need to lie in bed and I just right. need to take a time out. Right. But generally, it's not just that I'm more capable of actually working longer hours. It's that my mind is more alive and that I'm more connected to my inspiration. I feel more hopeful about things. Yeah. I'm just more enthusiastic yeah. in general, you know? My husband and I always joke that like when we have these stints of not drinking that if everyone just didn't drink for a few months out of the year, we would have like solved cancer, there would be like world peace, like <laughs> we'd last, all be doing algorithms. The last chapter in the book is called Vision for a Hangover Free Society. Oh really? And I kind of go, I'm there like, you go. can you imagine like, let alone what would you do with your life if you were right. never hung over? What would we do with our lives if we were never hung over? Yes. You know? There's oh my just God, like, so many things. There's just for me a real, yeah, that sense of hope, enthusiasm, um, and also like a kindness that kind of creeps in. Less yeah. resentment about life. Yeah. I don't know, just overall more positivity. And I think that if the world needs anything, it's more positivity. Sure thing, yes. <laughs> I'm sure it unleashes so many feel-good hormones in your brain mm. and all that stuff mm -hmm. yeah um so oh i noticed in one of your club soda events that you had recently unfortunately i wasn't able to attend but i noticed that you were holding some sort of discussion about 
plant medicines and psychedelics. Mm. So I was curious to ask you, how do plant medicines fit into a sober, curious lifestyle? Well, this is what we were asking ourselves. When yeah, <laughs> I say we, I mean myself and many people in our yeah. community, and um, that's why we hosted that panel mm. that was called Psychedelics and Sobriety. Um, it just seemed that I was getting a lot of questions from people along those lines, right. um, and it felt like it would be useful to bring together a panel of experts who could speak to it. So we had everyone from a psychiatrist to a microdosing expert to somebody yeah. who's led ayahuasca ceremonies to a cannabis advocate. Um, and I guess some of the questioning was, how can I use these, substan these substances for healing and for my wellness? And is that going to impact my sober choices? Um, and yeah, I mean, it was a very multifaceted discussion. I'm sure. The really, I mean, the interesting thing, and one of the reasons I suppose I was keen to host it, was that there is more and more research being done around psychedelic, therapeutic use of psychedelics, yes. specifically for treating problems with addiction. I find it so fascinating. So fascinating. Yeah. And it's largely the result of the fact that many addictive behaviors, whether it's alcohol, drugs, whether it's eating disorders, self-harming, um, you know, addictive dating, workaholism, a, a lot of these behaviors have their roots in some kind of an unhealed trauma mm. that's causing a, an overall sense of disease and that's very uncomfortable for a person to be with in their present moment. And so they're using substances or using work or using yeah. whatever it is to numb out from that. Psychedelics can be in the right setting and with the right um, individuals involved, very, very um, powerful in terms of healing deep-seated trauma. Yes. And a lot of that, and what um, the psychiatrist, particularly on the panel, was speaking about was how we rely very much in Western medicine on suppressive therapies, antidepressants, anti-inflammatories, anti-this, anti-that, right. whereas psychedelics are evocative therapies. So they can actually make help us go deeper into the pain, which is what is actually necessary for catharsis, which is necessary for actual healing. Right. He used a quote, I can't remember whose quote this was, but he said, um, the, the quote goes, the, the full expression of an emotion is the funeral pyre of that emotion. So if there's a feeling, whether it's fear, anger, rage, whatever it might be that's been suppressed, in order for it to leave your body, in order for you to, to heal from that painful emotional trauma experience, you need to feel it again fully. Okay. Um, and in order to do that, you need to be in, a, in an empathetic, safe setting. But these substances, MDMA, ayahuasca, LSD in particular, can help um, in a clinical setting someone to relive a painful experience in a safe way that allows for true and total catharsis of that experience. To absolve and it. then you're kind of like unhooking the cause of that pain, which is leading to a symptom of addiction. He described addictions yes. as simply symptoms of an unhealed emotional trauma. So interesting. So fascinating. Oh Do you read like anything from uh, what's that guy's name, Do uh, Dr. Gabor Mate? No. Uh, he's like a. They all they're all saying the same. Right. All the studies are concluding the same thing. Everyone mm -hmm. that's looking into this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's so mm -hmm. interesting. Yes. Very cool. But then of course on the flip yeah. side, you know, any of those substances can also be used addictively. Right. So again, it comes Just back like to this idea. Else. of dive, really questioning yourself, right. doing as much education as you can, really answering all the questions that you have and anything that's coming up with as much integrity as possible. Yes. Big ones being, am I using this to numb out or am I using this 
to heal myself, you know, just really being honest with yourself. That's a great question to ask. Am I doing this to heal myself or am I doing this to numb myself? Exactly. Yeah, and when it great. comes to a substance like alcohol, very rarely are you going to be able to say, I'm doing this to heal right. myself. That's so true. <laughs> I can't think of one time I would ever... Well, I mean, originally alcohol was used as an anesthetic. Oh, was it? Yeah. In, original, cause in the original bummer. days yeah. of surgery, it was used as an anesthetic oh. and an antiseptic. So it has its medicinal uses yeah. too. <laughs> but then we just totally like blew it out and abused exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Makes perfect sense, actually. Yeah. Um, why do you consider your business today to be a conscious enterprise in general? You're kind of a conglomerate of brands of sorts, let's mm, call it. You've got yeah. the Numinous, you've got Sober Curious, you've got your event series. Mm -hmm. um, why do you consider yourself to be a conscious enterprise? I also have a, a brand called Moon Club that's oh, an Club. Yes, online, a global online kind of spiritual coaching oh, community cool. for women all over the world. We have about 500 members all oh over God, the world Oh my God, amazing. Now. So yeah, and more and more actually I'm seeing myself as as a kind of a brand specialist, and actually I do all of these yeah. projects are the things that I've created and that I kind of oversee. Yes. I would say it's the intention right. behind everything. Everything I create, everything I'm doing has yeah. a very conscious intention to be of to be of healing, to be of help, to to really put something like I said at the beginning, something very that I perceive to be valuable into the world. Yeah. Um so yeah, it comes down to down to that. <laughs> the intention. That's yeah. great. Actually, it just reminded me of something that I forgot to write in my interview questions, but now that you're here, because um, I remember you had, did, you had done some work for the James Hotels mm. at one point, mm -hmm. um, and I can't really remember right now off the top of my head, but what is it that you did for them? So for James Hotels, they wanted to create a wellness program yes. as part of their offering when they were opening a new property here in New York, and um, approached me about curating something. So the program I came up with was called Four Bodies Wellness, Yes, and they were offering guests um, different activations and experiences with different partners for mental physical emotional and spiritual well-being cool. the emotional spiritual piece being not so much what we focus on in kind of the modern wellness yeah. world I suppose um, and one of those I, they were so progressive with this they they let me create something called readers on room service where we had a menu of astrologers sound healers oh reiki healers who you could book on room service. <laughs> How awesome is that? <laughs> yes, a lot so of fun. So you could be like laying in a James Hotel and be like, doop, and then exactly maybe Ruby shows up in your room. Come and do an astrology reading. That's so cool. <laughs> I love that. So yeah, that's. I mean, those kind of projects I do okay. also with brands, and um, so yeah, I love I love working on that kind of stuff. Yeah, too. That which is again, really it's cool. about again the intention yes. is to really bring into all sorts of mainstream places, into all sorts of different industries, yes. opportunities to interact with these different modalities, you know? Yes, I love that. It's all about introspection at the end of the day, no matter mm -hmm. which modality or which tool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, do you yourself have a personal, like regular ritual or morning routine that gets you started, gets you focused for your day? I do meditate for 20 minutes as soon as I wake up in the morning. Like as Great. soon as my alarm goes off, often I wake up before my alarm, that's another benefit. Oh, so wow. I'm curious for you, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I do meditate for 20 minutes straight away and I've been doing that for the past sort of three years or so. And, and now if I don't, it really feels like something's missing. I feel like my I'm kind of like Something's going off. I feel like I'm going into my day kind of raw and like a bit... Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the thing. And then I have a pretty standard kind of breakfast routine that follows that. <laughs> um, and What's then, for breakfast? 
Well, there's some hot water and lemon to begin with. Oh, you're so it all healthy. sounds so virtuous. It's <laughs> it like, <laughs> but, but it, it probably makes, makes you feel, feel good. good. Yeah, <laughs> do it if it makes you feel good. And then I make this kind of fancy oatmeal with all kind of powders and things mm. for my husband and I. And then I drink like about a liter of green tea while yeah. I write. So my morning oh. hours are writing, whether it's writing books, content for my website, social media content. Anything creative, yeah. I get done between like 7 and 11 kind of thing. Okay, cool. I love that. I try to do the hot water lemon thing. It probably happens at the most once a week. But it really does make you feel so much better it the does. rest of the day. And it's become so habitual. Even when I good travel, I take, lemon do? In, I take lemons in my suitcase. Oh I'm like my always God. asking for like so room service. Can I just have some hot water? <laughs> I need to start doing that. It really does change everything. Yeah. And your skin is like glowing. I bet that has Thanks. to do with it. Yeah. Um... So, do you consider your business to be a success today, and how do you value success? I consider it to be a success mainly because I am every day super excited and inspired by what I'm doing. Great. You know, that's what I consider to be the biggest success of my business. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I do. And that, and coupled, in fact, equally with... Um, the number of messages I get from people, whether it's emails on social media or whatever, just telling me how much the work that we do is yeah. having a positive impact on their lives. So those are my measures of success. Yeah, you know, that's a great answer. <laughs> I love that. Um, how do you see the world evolving ten years from now um, in terms of the work that you're doing, and how do you see the work that you're doing contributing to it? Interesting. <laughs> well, I'm moving more into sort of brand coaching and brand consultancy okay. and I see a lot of people wanting to follow a similar path mm -hmm. and kind of like set up businesses that not only are putting something that they believe about into the world but they're also serving them them on a personal yeah. level that are, are enabling them to live lives that really suit them yeah physically emotionally mentally spiritually like on all those different levels you know and that means that for for some people, maybe like a multi six figure salary isn't the actual goal. Right. And so I've begun working with people on a one to one level, um, helping them kind of shape and define their working lives in that way. And I'd love to do more of that kind of work. And I think that ultimately more people are going to be leaving the corporate sphere as it exists yes. and seeking these kind of lives for themselves. Yes. And I'm really excited about the prospect of, of that, you know? Yeah. I think that in my first book I wrote about the concept of Dharma, mm -hmm. which is a, a sort of a, an Eastern spiritual philosophy that spans many different religious philosophies. Um, that really speaks to the fact that each of us has a very unique gift and message for the world and that how we each express that is yeah. very, very different. And also very, very necessary. So true. And so I think, you know, when so many of us working in these big kind of corporate structures, there's not so much room for the individual expression of all of our gifts. Yeah. And I would like to see the next 10 years more people bringing their individual gifts to the world in ways that can serve each other in all kinds of different ways. Great. Beautiful. Um, so last question I like to ask people, um, what's a valuable piece of advice that you would like to give to other entrepreneurs that are creating businesses today? It's something that does get said a lot and it comes up for me all the time though and it's um, really just that there's no such thing as an overnight success. 
think a lot of people in the now age, you know, we're so used yeah. to getting everything at the touch of the button. We see people growing these huge Instagram platforms seemingly overnight or whatever. And it's just, I don't know, I think that um, the reality is that building anything with meaning, building anything worthwhile, yeah. takes time and it's an evolving process and it's a process that you have to grow with, you know? Yes. Um, and you have to be ready on a personal level and on an internal level before you can really see the success that you want to see in the world. Um, and that's not something that can ever be rushed. So I think, yeah, the best advice is just to really enjoy the process and not expect it to all happen tomorrow. <laughs> Absolutely. Great advice. Thank you so much, Ruby. This was really great. Thank you. And I think the sun has set on us the officially. Set. <laughs> I know. We have a real New York skyline yes. now. <laughs> Thank you for being here, and um, yeah, we'll try to get this out uh, definitely before your book. That's uh, amazing. Comes out. Yeah. Thank you so much. Great.